Okay, well, turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. The elders gave me freedom. We're supposed to be wrapping up the uh, Kings series today, but I'm going to go off of that a little bit. We're close, though. We're close. We're in the same time frame. Let me sum up what happens to the four kings in the end. They're all bad. Shocker. I want us to remember again how few kings were actually good. And it's a sombering thought to think of the nation of Israel, how often they did not get it right. And so we're going to start here with a little depressing news. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, and verse 15, it says, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, had no compassion on the young man or virgin, on the aged or the weak, he gave them all into his hand. And then um, it says what else is done in the temple. Go to verse 21. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So basically what happens is, as God said, if you keep disobeying me, if you keep going after these idols, if you keep messing up the temple, I have to give you over to the very people that I cleared out for you. And they will be taken away to captivity in Babylon. It's just a sombering thought that there was a whole people that God said he got up early in the morning to help them. Early in the morning he sent messengers. He did absolutely everything. And not only did they reject his words, they mocked his words. Man, that's a scary thought. That that same attitude can sometimes be in me, can sometimes be in you. As much as God has done for us, as much as he has saved us, and saying, please follow me so it might go well with you and your children, we not only reject it, we mock it. To the point where God has to discipline. And so they are set away for captivity. But one of the pieces of this rebellion was that the Israelites never followed the Sabbath the way they were supposed to. In fact, I can't be dogmatic about it, but the reason some would say they live, they're in captivity for 70 years, it's been 490 years since Moses led them out of Egypt. And if they're supposed to have a Sabbath for the land once every seven years, well, God is owed 70 Sabbaths. And so in that, that verse is very interesting to me. Where he says, To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept the Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Let's look to the Lord. 
Lord Jesus Christ, again, we thank you that you are Lord of the Sabbath. Thank you so much for your compassion and grace towards us. We pray that you would do a mighty work right now, Lord, that you would control me by your spirit, that you would just stir up in our hearts a revival, that we would just, again, want to do the things of the Lord, that we would be refreshed by your presence, that we would fall in love with you. May you be honored and glorified. In your name, amen. Some of you have had some extra time on your hands. Maybe some of you have not. But some of us remember the Sabbath, right? Every seventh day you were supposed to not work. It actually patterned itself after God himself. He created the world in six days and then rested or completed on the seventh. Everyone thinks, right, God wasn't tired from creating. He didn't need to rest because he was worn out. The New Testament would say the Sabbath is actually made for us. It would teach us something about who He is and teach us something about who we are. God was setting up an example. You have to, as part of your lifestyle, take time to stop and reflect and think. Some of you, maybe this time has been crazier than ever. Others of us, maybe we've been bored with more time than ever. And I want to challenge us again today, have we taken any time to stop and reflect where we're at spiritually and what God is doing? There was four pieces of the Sabbath that I want to talk about. There's probably more. But number one, here's what the Sabbath was supposed to do. And the reason I want, or the thoughts I want for us to have in the background is how much would this have changed the Israelites if they would have done this? For years upon years, they continue to have bad kings. They continue to not only reject God, bring in idol worship. They are doing all sorts of evil stuff as God's people. Could the keeping of the Sabbath have helped? Here's one of the things the Sabbath was supposed to do. It was supposed to be a day to refresh yourself in the Lord. A day where you don't have to worry about what needs to be done so that you can have time to simply enjoy God. Turn in Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, this is God speaking to the people. In verse 13 it says this, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, to feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Not finding your own pleasure, not speaking your own words, Call the Sabbath a delight, not a chore, 
Not something that we sit there and go, oh man, it's the Sabbath and I can't do anything. As in, I'm looking forward to the Sabbath, the time where I can stop, rest, and enjoy the Lord. Enjoy Him. To honor Him. To think about Him. And rejoice in Him. And in that state, you refresh yourself as a person. You were created in the image of God. There has to be times in your life where you stop and refresh yourself in the Lord. Where you take a Sabbath and you rest. You put away your work. You make it a day just for Him. Now, as we talk about nowadays, the days of the church, there's a lot of things. We don't have to, quote, follow the Sabbath anymore. The Lord is, uh, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. But I will tell you the principles can remain the same. The reason we're getting together here on a Sunday is not for us. It's for the Lord. Do you actually find value in that? Do you find value in taking time out of the week to do nothing for yourself, but simply to refresh the Lord, to honor Him, to come because He's asked you to come, to learn of Him. And we know this works, we usually get benefits from it anyway. But would this have changed the mindset of the Israelites if they would have kept these things? Now I'm not saying they didn't keep the Sabbath on a weekly basis, but it would appear that they never kept this Sabbath. Turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 20, it says this. And if you say... What shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow, nor gather in our produce? Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and will bring forth produce enough for three years. You shall sow in the eighth year, and eat old produce until the ninth year. Until its produce comes in, you shall eat of the old harvest. What is it talking about? God told the Israelites, when you go into the land, every seventh year you don't farm a thing. You leave the land alone. Why? To teach the people to trust in Him. To always remind the people that you are forever dependent on Me. That it wasn't from your own strength that you got out of slavery out of Egypt. It wasn't from your own strength that you conquered and came into this land. I was the one that went before you. I was the one that fought for you. I was the one to provide you. So let's just do a little gut check. Every seven years, you leave this land alone. Which means, I'm going to give you even more produce in the sixth year. Remember, there's no grocery stores. There's nowhere to go, you know, pay and get someone to deliver your stuff. For a whole year, they were going to get extra produce from their fields, from their grapes, and they were going to save it. And every six years, God said, I will make enough for you to be able to eat through the seventh year. And then it continues on through the eighth, because in the eighth year, you start to grow things. But you're going to have to wait till the whole harvest time. And even when you get that food in the eighth year, you're still going to have to save some of it to plant for next year. 
This was a complete act of trust for the Israelites to do. That the very thing that would give them substance of life, food, God said, you just wait a whole year and I will provide. Shocker. Historically it's recorded, they never did it. Never. They never gave God the opportunity to show himself strong again, saying, God, I completely put my trust in you. I'm not going to touch the land, and I'm going to bank on you. Do you know what this would do to the economy of the nation? When they started to make trades with other countries, exports of goods, and the other nations started to hear, wait a minute, the seventh year is coming. The Jewish people aren't going to give us any food. They're not planting anything. Do you know what that would have done to the nations? But here's the crazy testimony. Can you imagine if the other countries go, you know what? How did a whole nation of people survive without planting? Oh, wait. And they're going to do it again in another seven years. And, and somehow, every sixth year, they get a bumper crop. What kind of testimony would that have been to the surrounding nations? And Israel never did it. So when they're in captivity, God said 70 years, the land's going to get its Sabbath. It's going to get its rest. It's owed to me. Where is our simple trust today? Could you actually trust God to not plant and provide for yourself for a whole year, banking on Him taking care of you? And not just you, a whole nation. So in other words, you're not turning to the people to the left or right of you. You're not going to the world for goods. You're saying, God will take care of me the year before. The Sabbath was always a test of trust. Do you trust me? Are you willing? The third thing the Sabbath did was it was to call them to remember that they were free. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says in verse 12, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but in the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Does anyone seem like that verse is just kind of thrown in there, like that really doesn't work? The Lord's talking about taking a Sabbath. No one works on the seventh day. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. What does that have to do with the Sabbath? Well, you know, a slave does not have the freedom to choose not to work. Every single Sabbath day, 
they realized they were free. In Egypt, they did not have the freedom to sit there and say, I don't want to work today. But here, every seventh day, the Jewish people would say, I've already been made free. I don't have to work seven days a week. I can have a day because I'm free where I choose not to work and give time and effort to God instead. What an amazing thing. Listen, during this COVID crisis, I am so glad uh, if, you know, if you've seen some of the news reporters stuff, the hospitals seem to be doing cool things when someone recovers. There's almost huge celebrations. People come out of the hospital and you see people clapping and cheering. Cancer survivors. I know we, we, we've had almost big celebrations. People to get together, hey, we have survived cancer and we celebrate that. We say, hey, you got over your sickness, over your disease. Let's all rejoice in it. And yet these times especially should remind us we have been healed from the worst disease that has ever come across this planet, sin. The disease that would keep us eternally separated from God, the disease that would destroy this earth, sin, we have been freed from. We should be those who celebrate it. As people talk about recovery from all these things, we should be like, yeah, guess what? I've recovered too. From what? From sin. I am no longer on my way to hell. I am on my way to heaven forever because Jesus Christ has saved me. He healed me. And because I am free, free from the power and the penalty of sin, I now have choice. I have freedom to actually serve my God. What if the Israelites took that thought into mind when they were in the land? I'm going to fast forward quickly here what happens. Today as we have returned back to somewhat normal coming together, they go away for 70 years, the Israelites. They're in captivity. But God chooses a pagan king to bring them back. And so the book of Ezra and Nehemiah is all about the return. And so quickly I will tell you that a guy named Zerubbabel came and took 50,000 back to Jerusalem first. And the first thing they did was repair the temple. Do you remember all the weeks we've talked about the temple getting messed up? Because you have to be right with God before you start anything else. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. You cannot do anything for the Lord if you're not right with Him. If you're not a believer today in the Lord Jesus Christ, as much as you try to do something good for the Lord, you can't. You have to first apply the blood. And so they went back and fixed the temple. Then there was a prophet named Ezra. If you read about it in Ezra chapter 7 and 8, it's amazing what God says about him. He was to teach people the law. He got a pagan king to say, listen, Ezra's going to teach you this law of Jehovah, and you better listen to it, and if you don't listen to it, you can die. A pagan king was saying that. And the people were learning again about how to live the life, the Christian life. Because one of the things that Ezra wanted to do was say, okay, now that you're learning the Torah again, we're going to teach you how to be a community. We're going to teach you how to 
interact with your neighbor, how to love them. Guys, I'll have to say this. This has been another crazy week in our culture where community is broken down. There's just things happening all over the globe where community is breaking down. Instead of getting into whose side we're on and things like that, we as the believers say, what is the biblical perspective? What does the Bible say how we should live in this time? That's what we go to. Because amongst all this chaos, if we as the believer go, I don't know, I think you should do this, or, and you don't have any biblical background, then you're just as bad as the world. We should have biblical reasoning for our thoughts and how we think things should be addressed. After that, Nehemiah comes, and he rebuilds the wall. Why would you rebuild a wall? One for defense. Now, obviously, in those times, to defend the country from people coming in. But you know what happens? You start to get right with God, and then you grow in your faith, and you learn His law. And then what happens? You're attacked by your own flesh. That's why you have to build defenses. That's why you have to do it. Well, why am I saying all this? I hope during this time, you will have a time of reflection. The world's different right now. We as the body of believers should have a time of reflection, a Sabbath, so to speak, and to think about these things. But sadly, you know what happens? The Israelites come back, and in the 13th chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah ends the book with this. He finds out they're messing up again in the temple. They're not doing it correctly. He finds out they went against the Torah and they're marrying people from the world. He finds out they are not keeping the Sabbath, that they are trading and doing business on the Sabbath with people from the world. And you will read about it in Nehemiah. He's saying, listen, don't you remember why we were in captivity? Because of this. We defamed the temple. We didn't keep the Sabbath. We intermarried with the world. And as soon as they return, it does not take long, and the Jewish people are doing the exact same thing. You can go through something like a world crisis, a pandemic, and you can feel a little like, ooh, maybe things are different. And when things go back to normal, if they do, we should not be like the Israelites who go right back into the old patterns that brought them right back into captivity. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, we should be diligent to enter into the rest that God has given us. Some of that rest is simply thinking of how we get heaven one day. But it's kind of like a, uh, an oxymoron of a statement. You work for the rest. You fight for peace. This is the time right now where we start to reflect. Do I refresh myself in the Lord on a daily basis? Because you know what? No matter what's happening in the world, that can't change. Nothing will stop you from refreshing yourself in the Lord except you. Will you learn to trust Him during this time? 
to the point where you might even put out for yourself things that you think you need, would you be willing to let them go and trust the Lord? Would you remember this time that you are free? That God has freed you not only from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. Don't be like the Israelites. Hebrews 4 verse 10 says, Let us be diligent to enter into that rest. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much that you are a great God. We pray that you would do miraculous things, that we would be a people that stop and reflect, that we would not be like the Israelites who return from captivity and get right back into the things that kicked them out. Oh Lord, help us as a group of people, as a body of believers here at Brantford Bible Chapel, that we will learn to trust you more. In your name, amen.